My new book, Peace Over Pain, is now available. You can buy it for $20 on Amazon or you can download it for free inside my exclusive Facebook group. Simply go to peaceoverpain.com slash join the group. And between the group and the book, you will learn how to eliminate chronic conditions. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Are you doing the inner work? Welcome to episode number 165. Today, I'm sitting down with a mentor, Mark Pelter. He's a veteran mindfulness teacher and a life coach. And he was also a major part of me getting through my dark night of the soul. In this episode, I want to talk about the inner child, the inner critic. I want to talk about self-nurturing and personal integration. Before we begin, sit down and relax and take in this important conversation. Now let's begin. Mark, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Kevin, and thank you for having me back. So from your perspective, How would you describe the inner child? Well, in my perspective, Kevin, we go through multiple iterations of different aspects of our personality, and they're not really separate from us. It's kind of like a a tree has growth rings, Hmm. and all of those growth rings are a part of the tree and have significance. None of them dies. All of them are quite alive. And what's ha- what happens to most people is that they become somewhat fragmented or disassociated or somehow a shutdown to certain aspects of their being, which causes other um, crises of sorts because we reenact the, the drama uh, that as we go along. Yeah, there's a lot stored in there it's like a basement with all sorts of junk right (laughs) yes but we can make uh we can make order in the in the basement uh as we find the meaning and value of each of the parts a lot of people don't understand their programming right well there's so many examples but let's say they're triggered by uh, one of their parents minimizing them even if they perceive it as they're being minimized that is probably coming from childhood programming and it's just still there in in that brain right and it's just it's, it's what i would call the inner child well i like to call the inner child you know and a person could actually uh develop beyond that uh if they're willing to integrate that part and at some point if they do work through the emotional uh material the unprocessed material, they can come to see that the parent has their limitations. Everyone has their limitations and they don't further seek out more than the parent can give. And they find other forms of nurturing those parts of ourselves that want to be seen as more than that minimalistic uh, attitude. Yeah. Let them off the hook, right? Well, accept them for who they are. Which is That's the type it. of letting them off the hook. Yeah. Yeah, because we hold grudges. And of course, the biggest one's going to be mom and dad. It's, it, it's just the way it has to be because that's the approval we're seeking for the first 15 or so years of our life. Yes. And our, our basic survival uh, program, so to speak, comes out of that. And then for people who want more out of life than merely surviving, then um, going back and recovering those lost parts of ourself becomes important. You're the first one that taught me the inner child work. Ah. 
And uh, I thank you for that because it really, really helped me uh, when I needed it, which is when I was going through the so-called dark night of the soul about two years now or so. And, you know, I had so much wounding deep down and you, you know, taught me this method of starting to talk to yourself basically in a nurturing way. And it took a little bit, but man, did it work? Like, because even, even with women, Mark, like every time I would get involved with a woman, somehow, some way I would sink my claws in there and I was looking for that nurturing. And I had to come to realize that I was looking for mommy basically. And it took a while, but I, I healed my inner child. Now I don't search for that at all because I know how to nurture myself. That's the gift. How key is it to be able to nurture yourself? It's very important. And I don't know to what extent you may have looked at uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which actually is a is a kind of a map for how to go from basic survival all the way up into self-actualization. And so to recognize that you're the one who's always here. And because of the, and other people, you may get- No one's coming to save you. No one's going to come to save you, no. Uh, Except you, you come to save you. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, as you learn to connect with yourself and give yourself that, uh, I like to think of it like mana from heaven, this sense of connection that is a lifeblood Uh, for us, not just mentally, uh, certainly emotionally, but I would say spiritually, as we, um, as we find out how to nurture ourselves, we let everyone off the hook, it's always nice to have that nurturing from someone else. But if you can give it to yourself, you're no longer you unhinge a certain sense of emotional dependency. And so you're not reliant on others, you're self-reliant. And that puts you way up in that uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs towards self-actualization. It works. And a few months after you taught me that, I I ended up finding Ho'oponopono and adopting that, which is pretty much the same thing. It's all inner child work. It's all, and then they use the term mana coming from heaven as well, that connection. And it's just so it's so brilliant because I I was always maybe you can speak to this because you've been involved with Buddhism for a really long time. But maybe when you're younger or you're in the beginning of the journey, you really kind of become obsessed with enlightenment. And it's like, ooh, I wanna I wanna be that. I wanna be like the Buddha, you know, I wanna I wanna be on and it's that's it's that's, that's the hardest thing any human can do in this life it's just it's extremely hard to kill your ego and have your mind just not move it's just it's just it doesn't even seem real in a way but when you start doing inner child work you start getting into a place where life becomes more enjoyable and the whole enlightenment concept almost becomes a thing of the past you still could get there but it's not so much as a goal anymore. Now the goal becomes being not as emotional, being not as caught in your head, just healing yourself, healing the wounds of the heart, you know, healing the inner child. Is this kind of what happened to you? Well, you know, my life path is, I would say, a path of personal integration. And so the conversations within uh, are still important. And we talk with ourselves all day long anyway. If those conversations are loving and, and nurturing and connecting, there's that sense of um, self-nurturing. And yet part of what happens as well is that enlightenment is not seen in the same context as before, because enlightenment in that regard is not an avoidance of these emotions. It's not an avoidance of the human condition. 
It's an understanding of really what the Buddha, at the core of what the Buddha taught, is a, a mindfulness practice, uh, meaning you pay attention to what's going on inside. And in the, uh, there's one of the ancient sutras, it's called the Satipatthana Sutta, it's a short sutra. But, and what it basically says is, if the causes of suffering don't arise, the suffering doesn't arise. So then what happens in the mindfulness practice is you start to recognize the indicators of the suffering. What are the indicators? And so maybe it's a, a feeling in your gut, something has happened, whether it's in the news, maybe it's a, a relational piece. You start to recognize the indicators and in, which, and then when you recognize the inter, the these parts of yourself that are beginning to arise, you interrupt the cycle and you turn it by turning and facing this part of yourself, talking to this part of yourself. And rather than enacting this drama, you've put the, hit the pause button. And by doing that, you give yourself leverage, a, a choice to do it differently. And so part of the difference is instead of lapsing into the old behavior, you do what's called one of the factors of enlightenment, which could be meditation. It could be self-reflection, uh, this inner part. But, but enlightenment in terms of what the Buddha uh, taught and the experience of it isn't something that is not tangible. It's something that is actually um, quite here. And it's, uh, you might laugh when I say this, but most people have this sense that something's watching them all the time, mm. which I would call universal consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's always here. And you know that from your study of Ananda and various different things. Universal consciousness is already here. Enlightenment is already here. And so as you receive that focus and let that energy, that consciousness penetrate your being, then you realize that enlightenment isn't something arbitrary. It's not something you can get from someone else. Everyone's already enlightened, but we fail to see it. Right. And so at that moment, everything kind of switches around and there's this recognition. Yeah, it's our true nature. Yes. It's just our mind is like a computer and it's playing all this nonsense that we've been programmed. And so this journey that I've been on, I mean, I've been on this journey for a little over 10 years, about 11 years, no, about 12 years now. And the last two years have been very, very significant. That dark night of the soul was no joke. And I was crying every day for a very long time. And it didn't just come out of nowhere. You know, I got 10 years of mindfulness working up to it. So it's obviously a detox. It's obviously stuff coming up, right? But I never worked on my inner child before. And that's the difference, I think. And I've come to this realization, Mark, that I almost feel like spiritual is the wrong word. It feels more like science than spiritual. Because... I've met lots of mediums and psychics and, you know, what people would call the woo-woo, right? The woo-woo. That's spiritual. That's the spiritual stuff. The invisible stuff, right? Mindfulness feels more sciencey because you're dealing with actual chemicals in your brain. You're dealing with a, a, a legit computer. And it talks, and it talks, and it talks. <laughs> and the whole objective is to get it to slow down. You first love it, accept it and love it, and then it slows down. And then at some point, depending on perhaps your karma, it'll stop. And that's what they call enlightenment, basically. Uh, it feels more sciencey than spiritual to me. What do you think? Well, I could see why you call it science, and you're right, Kevin, that it's a practice, and it's not something that you're praying for, for some extra 
uh, terrestrial being, some anthropomorphic uh, deity to come and uh, you know do something for you. It's something you have the power to do. And that's what's really empowering, I think, of regarding what the Buddha taught and the technology of mindfulness. And you're right, it's a technology. And to have the, the courage to feel your feelings rather than to avoid them. Uh, you know, my Buddhist teacher always would say, uh, just let it go. Well, the problem is there are things you just can't let go. You have to work them through. Yeah. And so in the process, this inner child work, you, you work through that. One of the uh, videos it was very popular for quite a while. And you probably will laugh when I tell you the name. I, I think you probably saw it. It's called What the Bleep Do We Know? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. A long time ago, I saw it. Long time ago. But the piece of it that was so meaningful to me, especially as I went through my dark night and all of that, is that uh, we actually rewire our brain by what we do and what we don't do. And it does feel like we're going to die. There's this fear of non-survival when we don't enact the old patterns. We, we do survive. It's just there's a shift of authority, a shift of status of what part of you is taking the, your life downstream. Uh, I would say we don't actually lose our ego, but our ego is no longer the one that's at running the show mm -hmm. it's useful for certain things but there's a different um aspect of self uh, i would say the self maybe with a capital s that steps forward this into integrated self that sees life in a much bigger picture and can actually direct you beyond the fear of non-survival into a life of thriving uh, which is i think what you have generated in from the dark night of the soul and your certification, the um, uh, the program that you you're developing and mm -hmm. developed, and all of that, you definitely have made a major life shift. Mm -hmm. And so, in doing that, you're not the same one that was whatever that was before. Right. But the dark night of the soul was actually an initiation. It initiated you into a deeper level of the awakening of the heart. And from that, you step forward with your feet really on pretty solid ground, I think, today. Yeah. But the interesting thing about it is I, I don't feel like I have a heart. <laughs> I don't. I, I didn't have a heart awakening. Oh, you didn't? Okay. I didn't. No. I had a realization awakening, like a mindset awakening. Beautiful. Um, I'm trying to describe it, but I don't feel super duper compassionate or lovey dovey. I, I don't feel that. I don't know why, but I never really was like that. Uh, what I feel is, dare I use the word invincible? In other words, I'm not scared to die. And I accept everything that happens. The good, bad, and the ugly. And that makes me feel indestructible. Now, that could be the ego with like a helper thought like a like a a vanity metric metrics type thing i don't know but example i just had recently a stretch of time where my emotions shut off it was crazy it, it that never happened to me in other words nothing could trigger me and i could take fire and I can give fire and I still wouldn't be triggered. And I would be in such awe that I'd be like, oh my gosh, nothing moved. I didn't feel anything. And so after four or six weeks, whatever it was, it came back. 
it did come back in a big way too. It's like the elastic band stretching out and it pops back. I've had this happen before with my thoughts going into like a no mind kind of Satori where you don't have thoughts for a really long period of time, but then it comes back and your mind is blah, 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 but never with emotions. And so I don't know what that was. Well, it sounds to me like what, what would be called non-attachment. Yeah. And one of the things is you speak about it, Kevin, that's also perhaps um, a vantage point of uh, not, not someone that was better than us, just uh, uh, one of the patriarchs of Buddhism, a uh, man named Dogen. And oh, yeah. I know. I know Master Dogen. So Dogen, when he was asked about his enlightenment, he said, which one? And he actually had documented over 150 different enlightenment experiences. Yeah. And, and you're right that they, they leave like a watermark in our mind and our heart. And they are informative of, from that vantage point. Uh, when I talk about the awakening of the heart, it sounds like warm, fuzzy stuff, but it isn't. It's, it's like a localized hell realm because our heart opens. And then in that opening, we see all of the human emotions for what they are. And we're not, uh, we're not running from unpleasant feelings. We recognize that there are pleasant and unpleasant feelings. And there's this deep and profound acceptance of the human condition. It, um, it's not compassion like uh, feeling sorry for other people. It's really, um, you know, and it shows up differently for different people. Okay. Yeah, when I went through the dark night, my heart bursted wide open. I was very vulnerable. I was crying. I looked at my parents in a different way. But once it, you know, once I, I got back into business and started building this clinic and all that, it kind of closed back up or or maybe it didn't. And I'm just perceiving it that way. But I just tend to not, like you said, I'm not attached. I'm not very, a great example is just a few hours ago. My cousin just had a, a, a newborn and they brought the baby over one month old and I'm holding this little child with these little hands and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I don't feel anything. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not moved. I'm not, you know, it's, it's just a little human. Like, I'm not like, oh, I'm not like, I'm not feeling that connection. I don't know why, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I'm just not, I, I just don't feel attached to much of anything except my business and my my health and my clients health you know getting the best result possible that makes me excited that makes me happy and but i see pain and suffering all all day it's what i do and so it doesn't it doesn't really hit me so when people ask me about the dark night of the soul, because people ask all the time, the best way that I can possibly describe it for me is that I went from Batman to the Joker. Uh -huh. And life is an absolute joke to me. And it's fun. And you know, the Batman, if you watch those movies closely, he's miserable. Batman, Bruce Wayne is miserable. He's hiding. He's a vigilante. And he doesn't accept himself. You know, and you know, you, you don't see Bruce, you don't see Bruce Wayne and Batman smiling. But the Joker's always smiling. Because the Joker doesn't care. Carefree is a good term for what I'm trying to describe. And that's what I mean. And uh, I don't want to go uh, killing people like the Joker did, but certainly that attitude of 
treating life not so serious. What do you think about that? Well, you is that know, non-attachment? Is that what it is? One of the things that in the larger sense we're talking about is the process of transformation, uh, personal transformation. When I use the word spiritual, um, I don't think of it in the same context as the woo-woo. I'm thinking of it in a very pragmatic sense um, in terms of uh, connect. what are you connected with? And um, and I see that life is a ever changing landscape of uh, you know thoughts, feelings, connections, uh, relationships, a lot of different things. Maybe things that I don't even have a word for. Um, where you are today is appropriate, I think, for where you are. And you know the old saying from. Um, I forget which of the pharaohs that it was that, uh, you know, the one I'm thinking of, that he asked his wisest people to uh, have some uh, phrase, some one line zinger that could be inscribed on his uh, pyramid or sarcophagus that would always be true. And after years and years and him berating them and over and over, uh, finally they said, well, this is the best that we have. And he said, well, what is it? And he, and they said, even this too shall pass. Hmm. So, you know, we ride, one of the forms of meditation is your attention is riding the breath. Uh, we're, our, we're riding consciousness and there's this ever unfoldment that's going on. Um, in terms of where you are, I think it's spot on for where, where you are in your life. And um, and things things change in terms of meaning and value. And But the thing that you're also saying, Kevin, is that as you work through unresolved emotions, and then there's nothing left of those. They're just, uh, they're not even a phantom. They're just, there's nothing there there's this spaciousness that you find yourself in and it doesn't have the same meaning and value that it once did what happens though i think over time is that much like I, i'm guessing I, I don't know what your experience as a younger person uh of going into a movie theater in the middle of a hot summer day and you can't see anything when you go inside and mm -hmm. little by little your eyes uh get accustomed to the, the that amount of light and then after you've seen the movie you come out and it's still a blistering hot summer's day and everything's fuzzy you can't see again and then mm -hmm. your eyes get acclimatized to that environment there is you know, there's always another level that's coming and who knows what your consciousness is getting acclimated to so then you'll see things that you did you weren't noticing before and i right. would say one of the biggest things you've given birth to is your clinic mm -hmm. and getting acclimated to all of that and then life you know it's i think of life kind of like a kaleidoscope the slightest movement and everything looks different right so um I don't think there are any end states. Hmm. I think there's this ever becoming that's a that we're all in the in the soup with. It's an evolution. Yes, that's what it is, and and this is where I am right now. And who knows where it'll be next year? Who knows? Uh, I I use everything for mindfulness training. When my Instagram is going crazy and people, you know, 50% of the people are calling me a quack or a fake doctor or a charlatan, that's mindfulness training. To be able to take the fire, to be able to take the tomatoes being thrown at you. And then the other half is all praise. Thank you so much. You're a blessing from God. You're awesome. I'm so happy I found you. That's also mindfulness training because that'll send your pride to the moon, right? <laughs> yes. So this is right where I need to be. 
you know, to balance this, you know? And that's the dirty little secret is that I'm working on myself through all this. And that's what the people don't know unless they hear a deeper interview like this. And you're right, Kevin. I think that's one of the gifts that you have to give, I have to give, is that um, if we call ourselves healers on some level, uh, it's not a pocus pocus. It's not magic. And part of what you bring, part of what I bring, is that inner work doesn't stop. You know, there's this ever ongoing part of it. And the tools that mindfulness practice is for the long haul. And no, noticing what indicators there are that would take us a specific direction, recognizing those parts of yourself and your right, whether it's praise or condemnation, that you recognize that this is just, this too is will, will pass. And yet being true to course, and you've set yourself on a course and i think it's you deserve a lot of um credit for what you've created you going through the dark night it gave birth to something and what stepped out of the dark night is you and you you went through that program and you you had this um vision of the center and you've manifested it and 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 you've stepped into that and it's 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 clicking and so with, with people that are condemners let's say if we were to call them the <laughs> haters whatever you call them mm-hmm. um those are people that just don't know yet and maybe they never know maybe this is their lifetime to for all of that and yet some of them little by little who knows Maybe they'll become your um, your best um, clients at some point in terms of the development of your clinic, and from one clinic becomes two, and you know how things grow. Yeah. So, um, with regard to detachment, detachment is not indifference. Detachment is an openness, uh, without making one side more than another. And I think that in terms of what you said about the praise or condemnation, you recognize that both of these, probably in the big picture, it shows you're doing something right because there's some balance in in all of it. Yeah, it's not one-sided. Certainly not, especially on TikTok. Oh my gosh, TikTok is brutal. Uh, you know, so it's been a very interesting journey, to say the least. Absolutely. And I, I asked you on the text or on the phone some weeks ago, do you think I'll end up going to another dark night of the soul? And you said, well, your parents are older, right? So you're implying that you know, when they pass or one of them passes, that could trigger another dark night. Let me answer it a little differently in, in this. Um, there are certain dark nights of the soul that are far deeper and have far more gravity. Um in general, any loss can trigger the dark night of the soul. My guess, just a guess, uh, in your life, that probably the dark night that you went through probably is the most significant dark night of the soul for this lifetime for you. There will be some type, I assume, uh, I, I can't promise or but i would speculate that when one or both of your parents has um, transitioned out of this lifetime there will be a dark night Mm. but not as severe as what you went through and because of what you've been through you'll know the landscape and you'll you'll recognize the hallmark aspects of it. And you also, through the dark night, you you found that really 
like St. John of the Cross said in his book, The Dark Night of the Soul, uh, what helps us to keep our heart open through the dark night is finding something to be grateful for. And you've created a lot of things to be grateful for, including your clinic and the people that you've been able to serve at this point that have benefited profoundly by your work. Yeah. I mean, the only time I get tear tears in my eyes now is gratitude. There's no, I was interviewed the other day on a podcast Dr. Lamar Shields. And he asked me, he was like, what brings you sorrow? And I, I didn't even hesitate. Nothing. I don't have sorrow. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing. Um, so, yeah, like, I've, I've come to understand life as we're going to die. That's the most profound truth of any animal on this earth. And what are you going to do with your time? And so I'm not interested in wasting time. And so I've adopted this mantra, if you will, this philosophy of there's only three things to do. Help others, which is what I'm doing with my work. Improve yourself, which is what I'm doing with my inner work, right? And have fun. And that's it. And so I've adopted this philosophy. And every morning, I sometimes repeat it, sometimes I don't. But I remind myself, this is this is it. Here's a happy new day. Here we go. There's a new day. And this is it. Have fun. Improve yourself. Help others. That's it. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> and when you think about it like that, it's, it's, you know, it's so simple. Instead of getting caught in the, in the gray areas of paying bills and you know, getting an oil change in your car and ah, 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 that meant traffic, ah, you know, and all this type of stuff, you know, because the, the, the days go so fast. They really do. Cause I, I'm an early riser. I wake up 435 in the morning. I'm on the computer working, you know, by 10 AM, I already got most of my day's work done. And let me tell you, by the time 8 PM rolls around, I'm like an old man. I'm like, I gotta go to bed. <laughs> so the days go by really fast. And that's just an indication of how quick we're going to die. Yes. And make value as you can. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, look, you're in your 70s. Do you remember your early 40s? Like, I mean, 40, 70, 40, 70. I mean, it's a 30-year gap, but it went fast, right? I mean, it just blink of an eye, right? It went, it went quickly, and yet there are certain uh, milestones along the way, whatever they may be. In fact, that's one of the things that's on my to-do list is I want to create... Um, not a huge uh, piece of writing. It's kind of a brief one, but to go through what were the milestones along the way, uh, mm. whether it was going to grammar school, graduating high school, college, you know, all the normal stuff, uh, marriages, different things. And really, uh, what when did I move to this place? Uh, what were my, did you ever read a book called A Stone for Danny Fisher? No. I think it's, um, it's his name, Tom Robbins, I think is the author. But so that in that book, what this uh, character has, uh, Stone for Danny Fitch Fisher, th is that there are certain milestones along the way. And to, just to create a very brief biographical uh, date-oriented logistical piece. And my thoughts about it, uh, really are not exclusively for me, but it's, uh, and you know, and part of Buddhist meditation practice 
is something called cemetery meditation, mm-hmm. which is about going to a cemetery to meditate. But it's really much like you're talking about dying. It's that whole part of meditation where you actually go through the process of witnessing your demise and what happens over the years until all of the parts of you, including bones and all, become dust again and unrecognizable that it was even human. And and then, so what remains? And um, But in terms of having some record for my descendants, um, you know, who would know, well, uh, he did this or he did that. And, um, but I like you, you know, busy doing some writing work right now that's important to me i don't know if it'll be important to anyone else but it's important to me at the moment right that that's that's part of the inner child too in my opinion it's because as children you you kind of lock yourself in the room and and you you do work or you play I was an only child and I spent a lot of time locked in the room, you baseball cards or, you know, writing poetry as I got older, whatever it is. And so what you're doing, what we do is inner child physical work too. You know? yes. But it's interesting. You brought up the cemetery. I just got in trouble because I brought my nephew who's almost 10. I brought him to the cemetery at night. Uh because i got a note he kept playing his video games on the phone oh the constantly the video games video games video games and i said dude you're wasting your time man i get it he's a kid i get it but i'm like you're wasting your time you're gonna die soon he's like what what do you mean (laughs) so i brought him to a cemetery and we had a little talk yeah i heard it from his mom I can't hang around with kids. What do you get? What do you want from me? And this is why I can't coach clients either. I got to let other people do it, you know, because I'm just like, I'm the joker. I've transformed into this carefree uh, person who's unattached and, and just wants to have fun, but make sure that you realize that you know, don't waste your time. Video game ain't gonna get you anywhere, unless you get paid for it somehow. I mean, some people do on Twitch or whatnot, but you know, if you don't have an aspiration to become a professional video guy, making you know a hundred grand a year, I, I really don't see the point. And I, I get it; it's their own pr- prerogative. But but that leads me to my next question for you is what's the line, Mark? What's the line between healing your inner child, being a compassionate person, and still being a capable man? What do you mean by capable man? Like having that responsibility to take care of your family and take, you know, take care of the people around you and being able to protect people, you know? If if we go back to tribal times right it wasn't women protecting the village it was men it has to be because we're bigger we're just naturally bigger and stronger it's just the way it is and well i think there's certain understandings that happen as as we uh, evolve Mm -hmm. and uh who you are and your um the opportunities that are available to you in, and not just in terms of the time frame, but what you've chosen. You have gone been on a path of personal transformation for many years, from having been a DJ, all the different things, health concerns, and, and you use those opportunities to get you to where you are. One of the things that I think we're witnessing in places like the Ukraine and different Uh, geopolitical things that are going on in our world is that as much as we would want to protect our loved ones we can't protect our loved ones loved ones from life and the best we could do is love them while they're here love them while we're here Mm -hmm. and um, have the types of relationships that are 
consistent, connected to you as an individual. Um, part of what I think hap is happening, though, Kevin, for you, for me, for all of us uh, who are evolving, is that we're we recognize that we need to really be focused on some energy management and time management and that our lives are not just one way, but we have time for different things, whether it's paying the bills, uh, whether it's um, doing writing, whether it's meeting with clients, but we manage our energy and our time in order to achieve um, certain outcomes that are important. Mm. So I think as we mature, we, we reckon with um, time and space um, in ways that are much more conscious than we realized before. Yeah. You know, one of the things we talked about before was the difference between uh, reacting and being responsible. Re A lot of people use the word responsibility without realizing the root of the word is response and how you respond. And that's really what I'm talking about. Being, being a capable man, being responsible. And, you know, we have a new generation of men who are playing video games and binging Netflix. And, uh, that's seems to be making them soft, so to speak. Incapable is a better word. Just, you know, it. it's just not like it used to be. Uh, I'm sure you can go back to the 1970s or even 80s and, and see the difference, <laughs> you know, because kids are growing up with the technology now. And, you know, they're not necessarily getting into careers and stuff like that. They're just... You know, they end up working at Walmart or or whatever the case is, and it, it just seems like their uh, their path is being altered. You know, their karma, if you will, is being altered um, by this technology that's softening the man. I think we're in a very interesting time frame. Uh, I hesitate to say post-COVID because COVID is still active in the mm -hmm. culture. Um, there has been a huge shift in the marketplace from having stores that are physical stores to having uh, electronic places, warehouses, di distribution centers, and you know who they are in you know, different uh, places, yeah. shop, and, or even shopping at department stores that are online. Uh, newspapers, most people, if they're going to go to look at the news, they either do it online or on the television. And it's pretty rare for someone to even buy a newspaper anymore because you can get it all online. Right. And so there's been this huge tweak in the culture, and I don't believe the dust has settled. And in this um, climate where the dust hasn't settled, mm -hmm. this fogginess uh, there, it hasn't quite shifted into a recognizable form. And in in this in in this time frame, because it hasn't shifted into this form, there are many people that don't want to go back to work in this post-COVID time, mm -hmm. there's a huge need for people to come back to work because all of the supply chain issues that are, are here. Um, I, I just think that we're in kind of a limbo, but I also see some things that I believe will really majorly tweak the culture. I, I don't know if you heard about this. They now have figured out, uh, a fusion technology hmm. uh, they call it putting st a, st a star in a can hmm. so this way of generating energy that's self-generating 
And that particular part is one of the um, one of the aspects that is going to generate a new reality, a, a new way of living life. Uh, I, and also with all of the all of the automation that's coming. Oh, that, yeah. So with all of the automation that's coming there, it will be a less need for people to do all the grunt work. And so maybe the skill sets of binge watching television, of doing the video games, could potentially be a launching off point in terms of technologies that will be running the uh, infrastructure of the reality that people live in. So it's hard to know how one thing uh, can actually feed another, because it does seem like... Um, a way of detaching from reality in binge watching and uh, television programming and also in terms of video games and stuff like that. Uh, but there, I mean, even in terms of warfare, like these drones that uh, are, you know, uh, bombers and stuff like that. So there, there are different things that are evolving in the culture and it's really hard to see where they're going. However, in terms of happiness and a sense of meaningful living, uh, in terms of self-actualization, to detach from reality doesn't give that. Hmm. A person finds the courage and willingness to pursue more happiness than they get from video gaming and also from binge-watching television, because that also becomes a certain level of mediocrity. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. You got to get into the harsh reality. And then you got the health side on top of it. You know, the more video games, the more Netflix, The you know, it, of course, you know, we're being programmed with bad food on top of it. So, you know, people are just getting fat and sick. And I guess that helps me in my business, but it doesn't help the world and or the country. And, you know, five or six years ago, I could see it happening. And I used to call it the digital world order, digital world order. It's happening. And I think the pandemic sped it up. It was going to happen regardless, but it's sped up now. And... Yeah, there's going to be virtual reality. There's going to be people making a lot of money at home in their underwear on their computer, which is fine. But you said the word just a few minutes ago, mediocrity. When you fall into that mediocrity, you become an incapable person. That's what I'm saying, you know, and, and particularly with men. Women have more leeway. You know, because they're not by nature, they're not the, the the protectors. Men are supposed to be the protectors. We're the protectors. We're the bigger, stronger ones. Our bones are bigger, you know. And you know, if you got a bunch of 30-year-olds out there that are fat, sloppy, and watching Netflix all day, well, we got we got a problem. <laughs> Hopefully there is a growing hunger for something more than that. Yeah. And it's in that hunger that people like you, people like me, people that have um, reckoned with uh, how a person gains a, a sense of happiness, true happiness, yeah. uh, fulfillment. And then when a person recognizes that no matter how much many video games they play, no matter how much binge watching they do, there still is an aching hunger for something that that particular, um, those particular activities cannot nurture, cannot scratch mm. that itch. And in that hunger, then perhaps someone finds out about you, finds out about me and mm they find the courage to make the phone call and mm -hmm. their willingness to uh, invest in themselves, the, the time, the effort, the, the money that it takes 
to exchange those goods and services. And then much like you went through with the dark night of the soul, your willingness to cry those tears, to go through the all of those feelings, and on the other side of it, to be uh, to rec to reckon with the reality that our lives are this physical body is impermanent. Right. And so, I just spent a few minutes giving my critique. So that's a good segue. What do we do? about the critic in our head the inner critic what do we do well there's several parts of that uh one part of it is first of all instead of being beaten down by it to recognize that you can turn your attention around to face it in the eyes to talk with it and then one of the questions is who spoke to me that way hmm. and how did that feel and so that opens the door for deeper emotions to come to term with yes i did feel that and then what does this part of me need now that's that, that experienced this trauma this pain and learning how to nurture how to self-nurture how to connect with that part of you and then what happens is then when the, the critic uh, comes up you recognize this is how we recognize that we have an emotional need mm -hmm. that it speaks to us and so when it services we turn to it we recognize okay well what emotional need is it well it's the emotional need to feel connected to feel a part of to feel valued and nurtured and so then we integrate the critic into ourself but then also the another part of it is the critic has certain skill sets if it's a, able to uh, recognize what didn't happen that should have happened that same information was available before the act before the action that created that so then you take that tech, that subroutine of that program from the critic and you put them in the um, a different role. So this is central casting. So you, you take that critic and you put him in the role of the scout. Tell me before it happens, what do I need to do? And then you have all of that information that's available so that you don't make the same mistakes. Hmm. And so this inner critic is really the inner child. It's 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 the same concept. It's the same yeah. thing. Yes. And in Ho'oponopono, the inner child is just a nickname for the subconscious mind. Beautiful. It's just the programming that's already there. Hence, going back to having a computer. Yes. And this is how we work on our inner life. And it doesn't stop. It's the most tedious thing ever. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> well, and that's where the joy of mindfulness practice comes in. Mm. It's, um, I'll give you an example. So when I was in monastic life many years ago, I uh, I knew that my teacher wanted a fence around the monastery. I volunteered to build a fence around the monastery. The monastery was 60 acres. Wow. And so <laughs> we wanted a fence around the whole thing, but we wanted a fence around the parts of the property that were not bordered by national forests, were bordered by other neighbors, private owners, property. And so that part of the fence was about a mile and a half long. And so I volunteered to do it and gathered building materials because we had a permit to gather uh, dead and down trees from the national forest. And so uh, one of my senior monks would go out and uh, cut the trees. I would, uh, you know, take the bark off, uh, split them if they need to be split, all those different activities. Hmm. But taking all of the logs out of the forest, either on my back or in a wheelbarrow, on rare occasion, uh, one of the uh, graduate priests was able to uh, take the truck out and help me to bring some of the logs back. But as I would be going out to the forest, either take the logs back on my back or in a wheelbarrow. And um, 
you know, had a lot of inner dialogue going then. And so some of my inner dialogue was, Mark, can you just take the next step? And to take the one after that. And so having inner dialogue helps us with the tedious nature of mindfulness, that this is just this moment. It's this, and because life, you know, is ever... Um, in terms of, let's say, nutrition. We bring the nutrition into our body. Our body has to process it. And that isn't the only meal you're going to have. And yet, in terms of how that nutrition is used today, your body may use it slightly different 20 years from now because your physical needs may be different 20 years from now. This life is a ever ongoing stage, statement, many stages of refinement. And so it isn't the same part we're working on every time, even though it seems like that, but we're ever refining uh, our growing edges. The inner life. Yes. So Mark Pelter, where can people come find you and your work? Thank you for asking, Kevin. So I do have a website that is artofconnectionnow.com. Art of Connection Now is one word. Uh, that's one of the ways of finding me. And if they want to check me out, uh, they can go. I have Calendly. They can schedule a time for a, a complimentary meeting. And if they like my work, we uh, could set up some uh, scheduling for one-on-one -on -one work. I also have a complimentary meditation hour from 6 to 7 p.m. on Monday night. And on Tuesday night, I have a community meeting. The Monday meditation is actually called Monday Meditation, The Joy of Sitting. That was last night. Tonight is uh, the Art of Connection community meeting. And that also goes from 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, if they're interested in emailing me, they can email me at... Uh, info at mark-pelter.com and by phone they can call me at area code 916-215-0927 excellent they could all benefit from your work i i certainly have and i know lucy has from the peace over pain clinic she has too so and she made an amazing transformation so my last question for you something that I ask a lot of people on this podcast. What are the three most influential books you've ever read? Well, the first one that really profoundly moved me was uh, Ram Dass's book, Remember, Be Here Now. Mm -hmm. uh, another book that was very important to me is The Sermons on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, like from the Bible or an interpretation of it from someone else? Uh, was, uh, let's see, I found it uh, separate from the Bible. It was, uh, although I think it is in the, in the New Testament, I found it, I went to the, let's see, while I was going to Cal State Long Beach, Cal State University Long Beach, I went to the library and there were, um, you know, peace, there was during the Vietnam War era, and there were uh, protests going on, and uh, my psychology teacher encouraged us to read the Sermons on the Mount, and so that was also very helpful. I have a book up there called um, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount by Lloyd-Jones. So that may have the, you know, the a good translation of it, of them. Yeah. Um, you know, different things have been influential for me, Kevin. And um, the thing that has, you know, life can be like a book. And chapters. this, what's that? We go through chapters. Yes. And so part of what's happened in this lifetime for me is that I see myself somewhat, my life as a quilt with different panels. And um, and different parts of it came together in different ways. Uh, I got certain things have, having been a Buddhist monk and priest. I uh, got some things out of becoming a board-certified chaplain, different pieces. 
But then one of the things that really was extremely transformative is that I heard my chaplain supervisor use this phrase and it turned my world around. The phrase is uh, seeking a meaningful sense of connection. Hmm. I knew I was hungry for something. I wasn't sure where to find it or how. But then when I heard that meaningful sense of connection, it reformatted my whole life. Right on. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you on here twice. Thank you. I love you, Kevin. Thank you for doing such good work. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.